Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. Are we recording? Can we just go straight into this? I'm rolling. <laughs> yeah. I'm rolling. Yeah, so my, my, my birthday Your was birthday. great. It started with uh, church uh-huh. preaching, and then I had a baptism yeah. of an infant in the parlor, which was great. And we had a bunch of families zooming in from all over. It's great. And then I went home for a few minutes, and then we had dinner with some folks that are moving away that are a special part of our community. Yeah. We had this great concert with like that four, was crazy four or 5,000 people online <laughs> like, with Mark Lowry and our Cam Cody yeah. and James Kelly. And then I got an email at the end of the night that from a lady who said basically, gift. yeah, it was nice. It was top it all off. It was like the cherry on the end of a very great like, and busy day. So, and, you know, you're at home, you're settling in, yeah. and you're having a drink. And kind you're of like, vulnerable. This has been a good day, you know. Yeah. Turned 51 and she says, you know... Um, <laughs> Do you even know Jesus? And I hope your brother, who's a Baptist, I hope he knows how to lead his people to Jesus. I was like, wow. I mean, I only spoke like two minutes in the two-hour program, but apparently that was a lot. this woman who's never met me, doesn't go to our church, doesn't live in this city, and it feels confident. But because you didn't do an altar call. It, yeah, or I didn't tell people how to be saved. Didn't tell people the Romans Road, you didn't lay that thing out. Yeah, I kind of thought the whole night was about Jesus, but maybe I was, maybe I missed something. Well, obviously, you weren't. No, obviously, it was not. <laughs> so there was like an hour and 50 minutes of Jesus singing, and then I jumped up. Satan? <laughs> Who's that guy? The Satan? Well, 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 John well, Stevens. Well, well, John special. Stevens. Well, well, Aren't well. you? Who could you be? Satan? <laughs> Apparently I'm Satan, so. Yeah, you know, it comes with the territory. If you yeah. don't give people... With, you know, well, the interesting thing to me, though, is a lot of um, kind of what we've just felt in our cultures is everybody, you know, on this particular situation, I get she has probably her way of thinking how yes. faith's supposed to be one lived out. At it, man. It's not about love. It's not about that. It's about, man, you better... Now, I will tell you there were about 160 people in the sanctuary and about 4,000 online, and every one of them, I followed the, the little live chat, and in the, I was in the room. Trust me, it was a lot of Baptists, which I love, and there was a lot of amen in, and a lot of, and I looked around the room. Everybody's singing the songs. Now, they're singing old hymns. Old hymns. Old so I'm looking around, and my thought is, there might be some people in here who are not Christian, but it's not because they don't know who Jesus is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are you saying? I mean, I'm, I'm getting you. It's kind of like Gandhi said, you know, I, 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 I almost would have this close. I would have become a Christian <laughs> if I could have actually found Christians who lived the teachings right. of Jesus. Right. So, I don't yeah. know. A little more love, a little more kindness goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. That's. I, I grew up in a culture that was similar to that. That was like, um, almost you. You. It was about saying the words. You know, and once you said the words, you, I could you you could move on to the next person. It was like if they if they knew about Jesus, hey, it's not my responsibility anymore. You know, then you can cash out with right. your eggs and your bacon and your cheese and your sodas at the grocery store line. Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, well, yes. Once you know if they know Jesus, then right? it's like okay, now I can. Everything was check a out. divine encounter. Yeah. you know, the, of of getting people out of hell and into heaven. And well, when I was growing up, we did these skits where 
Uh-huh. You know, when you were in youth camp or I was a youth leader and youth director and it was like a car accident, car accident. right? You didn't car tell accident. your friends. It was always the car accident and they're all going to heaven. And it was like the hidden, the hidden Christian who didn't share who didn't his faith share. with other people. And they're all going before heaven and they're like, why didn't you tell me? Because right, they're being right. dragged to hell. And I'm thinking yeah. that was really a great environment for 13 yeah. year olds, yeah. you know, scare the living crap out of them. Churches do that now at, at Halloween with those kinds of uh, things, yeah. right? So they'll set up those. Oh, they, things, they right? have the, the apocalyptic yeah. haunted house. Yeah, or the scenarios of like, you know, the, the car accident or, you know, the woman that, um, you know, gets pregnant or whatever, you know, and it's so all. So you pay because, $20, you go through the thing, and at the end, you have to sit for an hour and listen to the guy yeah. preach. Yeah. No, I, I've, I've been to those. I've taken youth groups to those before. <laughs> and I'm not, ju- I'm not judging. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I, I think it's just interesting that when the whole night is devoted to these <laughs> hymns, and it's just, it's like, you didn't, we're say, you didn't Jesus, say the right something words. something about that name, yeah. and you didn't say it enough. I didn't, it's like, I, didn't say, I didn't say the right words. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're in the season of Lent. And one of the things I've discovered in the season, Lent's the time, that season before Easter, those 40 days, not counting Sundays, when you are to engage in a process of self-denial, fasting, induced suffering, <laughs> uh, you know, separation so that you can prepare yourself to fully experience Easter. And How's that working out, John? <laughs> my whole thing is like, we've been in Lenten fast that. since March 14th of 2020. We're, we're getting on a year yeah, crazy. when everything shut down. Mm. They just started doing it. If you watch the news, the yeah. year anniversary of like they stopped the basketball games and they yeah. stopped the players championship at the golf course. They just stopped. You and know, the pulled everybody. Then they seen, oh. and then I think it was March the thirteenth. It was a Thursday. I was having a meeting with some pastors and our bishop, and it was that night that we were on a call with Methodist, and it was then when the emergency declaration went out by. I can't remember the governor or the president. The next day it was the president. The next day it was all this. And we had canceled by Friday. We had canceled church on Sunday. That's how quick it happened. It was surreal. Yeah, so I would say we have been living in um, in, a, in a season of self-denial and fasting and isolation mm-hmm. for a year. So I guess, you know, how do you engage in a season of fasting and self-denial when your whole life has been fasting and self-denial fasting i don't know about fasting but self-denial isolation alienation yes yeah but i don't know the answer to that question except for the fact that it's kind of hard for me to encourage people to give stuff up for lent when they're just now reintegrating into society right right yeah <laughs> for the first time <laughs> i went to see my mother last week Oh, that's right. Yeah. How was that? Oh, it was great. I so saw pictures. It looked she, fun. She's had her two vaccines. She's in the clear. And so I told her, I said, do you want to go out to eat dinner at this restaurant? We'll kind of be at our own table. And my brother will go. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, you know, you've had your virus. I, I, I get you still want to be safe. I encourage yeah. people to be safe. And I said, but, you know, she, and what she said was she was so scared because for a year mm-hmm. she's just been living in anxiety and fear. Oh, wow. And it's like, how do you just turn that off? Right. It made sense to me. Absolutely. And it's like, okay. I was like, I, you don't think about the psychological trauma of being told all of this. Right. And so we went to dinner, and at first you could tell she's really nervous. She's really nervous, whatever. And then, you know, vodka and tonic later, 
She's like, I love dinner. This is so good. I'm free. We're out having dinner. This is so much fun. I'm with people. That's so it was great. great. I was like, okay, now we're starting to knock, knock the rust off of yeah. actually yeah. getting out and being yeah. with other people, which is good. I think it's that's, really some, and that, that makes me think this, um, this year we're talking about that movement from captivity mm-hmm. to freedom. We're seeing that happen for a lot of us as people are being vaccinated. Now they're thinking, man, I could start living a little bit more free. Right. And when we think about captivity, you know, if you were going to do like word associations, I mean, what do you think of when you, you think about captivity? Wow. I, thought, I think about being trapped. I think about being isolated. I think about being um, um, not being able to move or have freedom of movement. Hmm. Uh, I think about being sequestered and... Um, lockdown, all those, yeah, captive. I mean, it's you're 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 captivated. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're 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 held in a place that you can't move, and you don't have uh, agency over movement in your life. You know a lot about addiction. I, I do, John. <laughs> Why is everyone so personal? Everything is so. Everybody's so sensitive. No, no, I'm not I say it, you you got you got a freaking PhD in like I do in addiction. addiction. <laughs> Why would that be offensive? No, I'm not offended. I mean, I do I do get how it sounds. It's no. like <laughs> you know some about addiction. Well, I guess. You know all about addiction. <laughs> but one of the things it's like we're held captive to all these things. We think about physical captivity mm-hmm. or bondage, yeah. like the Israelites and slavery, but. Or, or slavery in, in human history. Right. But think about like psychological, emotional, spiritual, relational. And addiction, think about captive to addictions. And people think that's just like drugs or alcohol. Mm. It's more than that. We're addicted to a lot of things. We're addicted to ways of thinking. Yep. We're addicted to patterns of behavior. Mm. We're addicted uh, to feelings that are pleasant or unpleasant, even addicted to relationships with people. Mm-hmm. This guy, Gerald May, yeah. wrote that addiction is any compulsive habitual behavior that limits the freedom of human desire. Yeah. May's great. His, that comes out of a book called Addiction and Grace. Hmm. And he goes on to talk about, I don't know if it's in that book, but that he goes on to talk and, and uses some of the, um, some of the um, Ignatian stuff where, where uh, addiction is a disordered attachment. It's an attachment to stuff that um, actually ends up binding us. Hmm. And I, yeah, which I think is a really great So you, do you see that, like the things that have been going on in the world mm. lately, you think about tribal associations yes. and political and ideological. It seems like to me, I mean, there's like, there's addictive behavior yes. rooted in some of that, yeah. don't you think? Yes, because most of those things are about um, our impulse for safety, our impulse to not feel pain, our impulse to create something to where we're secure. And at, at the impulse, addiction is, there's something right about it, right? They're mm-hmm. saying that there's, there's a model um, that um, Dr. Kitty Harris is, is gonna offer it out, which, which is called the process model of addiction, where all addiction starts at a place of pain. Uh, and some of this is like, like, like pre-verbal stuff, it's unconscious. It's like, I feel pain at a place and I don't wanna feel that. And so our behaviors um, um, kind of gather around that to protect us, right? And we get involved in behaviors and actions and attitudes that then grow <clears throat> much like a skin would grow over something to where then they become problematic, but we're so attached to that way of being, we can't break out of it. 
it takes something from the outside often to help us to see what those behaviors are doing to us. Do you think, so you've worked a lot with people in, in recovery mm-hmm. who work in the program on yeah. addictions like drugs and alcohol yeah. or behaviors mm-hmm. that are defeating. But what about like ideologies and yeah. belief systems yes. and like even like I think yes. politics. I mean, yeah. don't you think... I'm just asking, I, I, I think there's that, but it's like a, an addictive aspect to society with personalities and leaders and parties and, and, and just mentality that seems to me to be unhealthy. It's almost like the whole country needs to be working the program. <laughs> right, right. And what's the first right. step? The, is acknowledgement that you've got a problem. <laughs> I don't think right? that anybody <laughs> thinks they have a problem. Yeah, yeah, I'm powerless and that's what he talks about. It's like, you know, what happens is we fall in these patterns of returning to these same things, same beliefs, same experiences. We normalize our captivity. Yes. That's just the way it is. That's just who I am. This is the reality. Yeah. And I have no other way of thinking about right. it. Right. Right. Being different. Right. That, that's where um, there's a whole psychological um, body of work that says that, that that captivity, once it gets internalized, you, never, you don't need a captor anymore. Because you've already internalized a captivity, if that makes sense. Hmm. So you don't need then a captor to keep you in chains because you've already, it's this learned behavior that you walk around inside of your skin with, which I think is super interesting, right? Um, and so the addiction doesn't just show up then anymore in, say, alcohol or whatever, the, the thousands of behaviors that, that we're talking about. <clears throat> it, it, it's internalized and it can then be a process by which we approach everything how we um, make uh, decisions to either take risks or not take risks, who is in our group. All these things come out of that process that we've internalized, which is about how do we mitigate risk and pain? How do we protect ourselves? And how do we keep other people away from us that we think are threats? It's almost like we we kind of make a happy place. Our prison cell, our captivity becomes for us a narrative. It's just like in the Old Testament when the when the Hebrews were taken out and they began to go in the wilderness and God was teaching them new way of being. They wanted yes. to go back. Right. To Stockholm captivity. syndrome, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that is. You 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 fall in love with your captors. Why? Because they provide you with so much security, you don't have to make decisions. Right? We live what what Charles Taylor says that we live in this it's age of anxiety because we have all these options and we're trying to figure out who we are in these options. And so the anxiety is at this all-time high. You put pandemic on top of that, and you put loss of job on top of that, and you Mm. put all these kids on top of whatever those things are on top of that. Our anxiety is is just through the roof. And if you can have anyone that would mitigate that, right, that's why we give our power over to um, um, things that end up not leading us to freedom, Mm. right, Um, but leading us into a way of security. I don't know. It seems like... I don't know to me, this whole, our whole society now is in some vicious, addicted loop. Mm. We're locked into captivity. Yeah. And it's almost like everyone's okay with that. Yeah. They double down. Yeah. It's like this, you know, person emails me, tells me, I don't, you don't know, know Jesus. Jesus and, yeah. Or, or I don't do it the right way. Yeah. And I try to send a pastoral, like, admonishment like not not mean just like you know you might want to think about before you send this maybe we don't whatever yeah. and how about the fruit of the spirit and yeah whatever else and like no let's double down yeah. i mean it, and it just it so you realize you can't even engage in a dialogue no because there is no sense of 
open humility for that. It's, it's just, it's retreated even more in, in, in. And then I become the enemy. Right. I'm the one who's self-righteous yeah, and defensive yeah. and everything else. Right. Um, for them. That, because that then makes their reality unthreatened. Right. They're, always, they're, they're right. They're always going to be right. Right. Doesn't matter. That's you. You've been. You've talked about um, like tribalism and those kinds of things, which I find to be really a helpful concept, and and that's why I think that Christianity is such this <clears throat> this this antidote to tribalism. Because if every tribe and every nation is gathered around Jesus at some point in history, if that's where that's moving towards, then then Christianity at its best is building bridges um, between those warring factions to say. Actually, Cain and uh, or or um, Abraham and Esau, you're your brothers. You don't have to be enemies. Cain and Abel, you're brothers. You don't have to be enemies, right? And like you had mentioned, we don't have to be involved in manipulation in order to get our way. We, but it does require humility. To break any addiction requires humility, right? And oh, yeah. and that's what a lot of times people. <laughs> myself included, find really difficult to take that first step is to say, wow, I've, I've got a problem. And so, so then the move, there, there's this, um, this three step, there's, there's these three places that scripture shows mm. us. We see it, whether it's in the, the archetype of Exodus from the Hebrews, then you have to go through a period of wilderness. There is no freedom without wilderness. Yeah, but to get to freedom, freedom is huh. from captivity to freedom wilderness is the transition place. So if you look at Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, you know, same thing. There's captivity. Even though he's at home, he's really free. That's, that's actually to me a really new way of spinning it because mm-hmm. everyone knows the Hebrews are slaves. If you understand slave, I don't have any freedom, but the son is not enslaved. Right. The son is totally free. He's just living in his own prison again, Yes, his own perception. He, so the prison is in his home, whatever that he just feels I'm not the older brother or whatever. Right. And, and so he leaves the house, that's his captivity, he goes into the far country, the wilderness. And it's only in the wilderness that we can find, um, I, well, the way I've been saying it is, it's the wilderness that lays us bare. There's the resources are not there. It's a place where mostly out of, we're out of control when we're yeah. there. We have fewer resources when we're there. Um, we are not the initiators in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. We are responders in the wilderness. It is the, the, the wilderness is way more active playing on us than we are playing on it. Yes. We are at its mercy. That's great. And so we have to respond. We are, we, are, we are in submission to the wilderness. And I think in a spiritual state, whether it's emotional, psychological, or whatever, um, the wilderness is a dangerous, wild place. Huh where then we are then confronted. We're broken open and we are confronted. I, I, it's probably more than two, but I think, okay, we can now go back to captivity or we can forge on to freedom. Mm. But that's gonna take a, a critical moment of decision of how are you gonna do? So whatever it is you're captive to and whatever the freedom would be. So we've talked about loneliness, mm-hmm. right? And the freedom would be wholeness. Mm-hmm. Well, it's changing how you look at loneliness, not loneliness all focused on you, self-pity, self-defeating, um, but it's solitude, which is a spiritual practice where God is now moved to the center. And so what do you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
he's alone, but he's not lonely. Right. And everything now changes about his center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. or whether it's alienation, where we that's a communal loneliness, isolation, and and the freedom is community, not tribalism. But in the wilderness, then we have a choice: do I do I double down and enter into that dark twin of community, which is tribalism, where I'm only going to be. Uh, banded together with people who hate the same people I do? Right, right. Or am I going <laughs> to forge forward into something that's going to be relationships rooted in mutual love and affection, rooted in kindness, rooted in compassion, rooted in humility, rooted in mutual humanity, and yes. getting past all the superficial stuff yeah. of my race, of what I look like, my socioeconomic yeah, yeah. status, my politics, my ideology, go all the way down to the core essence of who you are created in God's image, that humanity brilliant. connection. That, that's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, what I hear you saying is in the wilderness. Siri, I'm having trouble hearing you. Sorry, would you speak up? <laughs> Siri, Siri can't that, hear you. Go ahead. That, you just need to speak up apparently. That lady on your wrist. <laughs> you can't say anything that sounds like Siri. Hey, Siri, sh- be quiet. <laughs> Down, girl. <laughs> um what I love about that is it seems like what you're saying is that in the wilderness, then all those things that we um, attempt to use to secure ourselves in our own world in the wilderness don't work. And then we have a choice either to double down on them uh, and go back to captivity. But the way forward, at least Carl Jung says this, and this is second half of life stuff. This is like, are you going to grow or are you going to stay stagnant and stay Mm. um, where you're at? And the growth always comes out of that risk place. And I think another word for risk is faith. Will you take the risk of what you don't know? Go to the land that I'll show you, right? Because I know the way behind me. I know how to get back to captivity. You know, that's those behaviors are in me. But to go forward, I don't know. I don't know the way, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it causes us to have to live by what, what, you know, the just will live by faith. Those folks that are trying to figure it out are living by this risk forward. We don't know the way. So I can't demonize you. I can't demonize myself. I have to say, I surrender to you, God. Mm. Would you show me the way forward? All right, so let's, let's, let's move this from a spiritual, whether every conversation to me is a spiritual conversation, mm. but let's move it over into the realm or the world of change management and mm. business practice or okay. whatever. So one of the things they talk about, whether it's in psychologically and in, in sort of family systems or if mm-hmm. it's organizational culture and organizational systems, is that change only happens again, just like captivity, wilderness, freedom, okay. which is the biblical model. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like, all the organizational culture and leadership systems, it all comes out of scripture, whether you like it or not. And so it starts out, it's like, how does, how does change happen? Well, the first thing that has to happen is you have to, you, there has to be disequilibrium entered into the system. So everyone desires homeostasis, just like in your inner ear. You stand up, you don't realize how hard your body is actually working to keep everything steady. And if you've ever had vertigo, you know that as soon as that little fluid, that's like, dude, so tiny in your ear. If it's off just a little bit, it'll you drop can't you. Stand up straight, right? <laughs> you can't walk in a straight line. Um, vodka tonics will do that too. But, <laughs> but you know, so so we always are fighting to maintain this homeostasis. Yes. But in order to change, that has to be disrupted enough. It has to be tilted enough. Yes. Right? In order for, and, and they call it introduction of survival anxiety. And enough anxiety has to be introduced to the system to tip the homeostasis. It's called disequilibrium, right? 
And then what happens is you enter into that wilderness stage. All right. Hang hang on. So that's what I would lay over in my language would say, those are the disordered attachments Mm -hmm. that you have to have distance on, Mm -hmm. right? Those are the attachments that the wilderness says, wait, this isn't working the way I want it to work. Right. That's the, is that, is that what I'm hearing you yeah, saying? So That's I think the I like it, the captivity is that place where there's the cross between what they call, you have to be unfrozen. Uh, they call it unfreezing. You, you, the system or the person has to be shaken. So when I think okay. of my friend years ago who, you know, needed, he needed to stop drinking mm-hmm. and I sent him to, I think I told you the story. Yeah. I sent him to a friend of mine who was a big leader in recovery. And I said, why don't you go see this guy? He can help you. And the guy calls me back. And he goes, I saw your friend, uh, you know, that, that you're the leader of recovery and everything. And he told me to go drink beer. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, this guy's an alcoholic. <laughs> and I called the dude and Switched I was like, I called, the, I called the guy that's the sponsor mentor. I said, dude, what the heck, man? He's like, he's not ready. Uh, he's not there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He ain't yeah, hit the bottom. Yeah. And so, you know, he's I was talking about hitting the bottom. He's like, managing it. It's, yeah, he, he, he's, he's not ready. He's, he's so there's not, not many things. I was like. Dude, you could not tell him to go drink. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get it. I don't understand, but that's never been my my yeah, uh, yeah, thing. Yeah. But he he. But what happened to my friend ultimately when he did reach that spot and he had to go to treatment, right? Right. That's where the unfreezing happens. That's yes. where he's broken open. Yes. All right. And then once captivity, once you step out of captivity into wilderness, or once you step out of unfreezing, once you're unfrozen, once disequilibrium now mm. is in your place, everything is chaotic. You're in wilderness. You're in the wild. You don't have the resources, right? right? And in um, in organizational culture or in personal psychological, they say what happens now is there has to be a cognitive restructuring process. Yes. This is where the learning That's takes right. place. And you have a choice, right? You can choose to have your knowledge restructured and think differently. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine, you know, people who have gone through recovery, they get to a place on the other side. Like I've never been able to understand how someone who has been able to drink or, or you know, drink their whole life and then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, I don't need to drink. I don't need to touch it. Some of them I've heard go, I can't touch it because if I do, it'll kill me. Right. And others just like, well, uh-huh. no interest in you. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a big shift if that's been a big part of your life. Massive. Yeah. Massive shift. I mean, I think that's that bears witness to... Because how much of our society is rooted around cocktails and drinking and... Yeah, yeah. Or any behavior that, that we're trying to to mitigate pain and to create security in our lives that are, actually is hurting us, is not doing that, right? And so when we give those things up, there is that... It's, I, th- I love that. The, the, the wilderness is... It is a wild place. It is unstructured. We are not in control anymore. And it's absolutely necessary so that the the these new learning behaviors can happen, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think also in that place is when we're broken open to another reality that exists beyond the one that I've constructed out of my own fear or security-driven measures, which is God's reality, right? That humankind doesn't live by bread alone. Mm-hmm. Oh, Wait, wait, that's you, cognitive restructuring. Right, you've got food. That's that I learning don't. to trust in God for right. your daily bread versus dependent upon the slaveholders to bring you the yeah. flesh pots or the leeks and the onions. Or it's all and, up to me and the bread ovens. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so what happens is, you, you, everybody does it different ways. Like I've known people in recovery who say, "I don't drink that stuff; it's poison." You know, they, they yeah. something has happened in them 
that becomes, and some of them is just like, yeah, it doesn't do good things for me. Turns yeah. me into a bad yeah. person. I've got an allergy or whatever. Or I'm, <laughs> I'm allergic. I mean, there's any number of, uh-huh. of things that they have processed and they've restructured yes. the way they view it. Their reality yeah. has changed. Yeah. And I think the same is true for us is that, um, we have, we have to go through this level to, to, to learn that we can live into this new future. So they also say in change, in change theory, it's like you have to reduce the learning anxiety because one of the things that I guess an alcoholic or anyone else that has an addiction, political addiction, <laughs> all right, <laughs> right, is like, I can't envision myself living into this reality that you're drawing for me. Right. I don't see my, I don't see me living in that. Yeah. I can't do that. Right. And if you can't see yourself living into that, you'll never cross over. One of the reasons why you have so many little churches over there filled with older members that have been there their whole lives and they're dying and they're dying and they're dying and they're dying. And they finally said, tell us, what do we need to do to reach young people? What do we do we need to keep going? And it's like, all right, well, here's what you got to do. You got to got to change some ways you do it. You know, it doesn't mean you have to stop, but maybe you need to change your music. Oh, no, we're not changing our music. <laughs> well, maybe you might want to get a, you know, a younger pastor. Oh, oh, we can't do or, that. Or whatever it is, you know, maybe you might want to not say that this is your seat and if anyone sits in it, they have to move, like when they come to church or whatever. And finally, when you go through these, I've done this before in consulting with churches, and we start talking about, well, let's examine your community. You know, you're an old white congregation. You live in an African-American community. And why don't we reach the people that you live around? Well, I don't know about that. You know, <laughs> so they finally get to a point where they cannot envision themselves living into that reality. Yes. And so once they, they get to that point, that's when you get the mentality of, well, we're just going to ride it out, last one out, turn out the lights. Right. We're right. okay with dying. Right. That's when people get okay wow. with death. Yeah. The restructuring that you're talking about, that that Greek theological word metanoia, that that whole shift, the paradigm shift that that like uh, Thomas had when Jesus kind of walks through the wall and is there and he's like, oh, my Lord and my God, like I didn't get it, but I'm getting it now. Like that that shift is super important. Because if we don't have that shift, that that cognitive shift of learning and those kinds of things, then when the pain and the anxiety returns, which it always will, we'll we'll lapse back, we'll relapse back into captivity, thinking that that's the security point, right? And so I think the idea of the bottom or those things being broken open, like you're talking about, is so that when we get to when the anxiety gets high, we realize, wait, I can reach back out for that. That's a mirage, though. That's going to take me backwards. Although it feels like it'll save me, it's going to take me backwards. I've had to learn, I'm saying collectively, we, we have to learn how to live into faith, how to live into the ambiguity and vulnerability, all those things that... that Speaking of Thomas, you know. did you see the little cartoon of the Zoom with the, all the, uh-uh. the, the disciples and uh-uh. Jesus? And they're all, their cameras are on, but Jesus is off. It just says Jesus. And Thomas says, I will not believe that he's here until he turns his camera on. <laughs> So then you talk about, okay, you get to the wilderness and you make the choice. You either go back to captivity or even mm-hmm. to freedom. And freedom is going to require change, metanoia, moving in a new direction. Yeah. That's hard for us. It's hard for everybody to experience that, integrate this, this new way of living. But that's when you reach freedom. And that's when, in so unfreezing, restructuring, and then what they call it is refreezing. Now what you're doing is you're forming uh, structure sol- uh, solidity around the new way of being. Right. This is the new 
uh, creation, right? Right. This is the new person. This is the new you right. that you celebrate on a regular basis. And so freedom, he's, you know, if you're unwilling to leave things, beliefs, attitudes, mm-hmm. postures that keep you confined, it, what's really interesting is everybody I know will tell you they want freedom, but they're not willing to leave behind these things that constrain them in their captivity. Right. You cannot remain captive to those old things and be free. No, you can't. It doesn't work that way. You can camouflage the heck out of your life. And you cannot <laughs> be comfortable in your captivity and be free at the same time. Come on. So the other thing that I would say to people in our culture is freedom from a biblical, spiritual, scriptural sense has nothing to do with your individual liberty. I can, it's, it's, I can do what I want simply from an individual uh, perspective cut off from other people. Freedom from, a, from this perspective is not personal freedom. doesn't mean you have the right to do any damn thing you want to do and believe any damn thing you want to believe. That's not what freedom is. <laughs> freedom from a scriptural perspective is not that sort of perverted, immature sense of what it means to be freedom. It means that you are no longer limited to these attachments that these powers and these possessions and these relationships have over you. You're not attached to where these other people or yourself or these possessions are the center of your life and give meaning to your life. Mm. That you can be free from all of them at any moment. People, things, outcomes, ideas, politics, Mm -hmm. so that at any moment you can respond to the invitation and the movement of God. That's where you recenter things. Amen. That's freedom. Come on. And so if you read... If you think about the life of Jesus being free, what did that freedom look like? Mm. Submission to death on a cross. I always love it when people come to God. Let me just tell you, preacher, I don't like, I don't know, I'm not coming back to church with you, mirror, mirror, mask, and make me wear those masks. I ain't coming back till you have that Bible. I'm not, you don't, don't even send me something on that Bible study. I'm not doing it on a Zoom, whatever. I'm, 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 I'm like, you know what, dude? Don't give me that. Just, you know, I'm going to give you some biblical language. Take up your cross, dude. Yeah. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. But it's like this whole confusion of, I'm not free. You're not letting me be free. We've had some, we've had, I've seen this from pastors all over the United States. People have left their churches because they didn't open up early enough for them. They have left their churches because their churches require them to wear masks in worship service. Yeah. They just left. Mm-hmm. Now, you you to ask me, is that, what kind of freedom is that? You got the freedom to do whatever the hell you want to do. You can go to any church you want to, right? Mm. But how much of that is real, true freedom that leads itself to respond to the invitation, the movement of God in that moment, mm-hmm. the kind of freedom, non-attachment experienced that, we've, that we see embodied in Jesus when he looks at his disciples and says, take up your cross, and follow me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say this too, is that freedom is not an individual exercise or journey. It can only happen in relationship and in community. And I think that's one of the things that we miss in our hyper-individualistic Locke Rousseau kind of world of hyper-rationality is that we don't realize is that the whole biblical mandate is pointing us back to community, back to relationship. Right. So who I meet in the desert is myself, but I'm um, I am restructured through new relationships. 
mm-hmm. through a new community, right? So it's not as if I go into the wilderness as an individual and I emerge as an individual. Mm-hmm. I go, I may go in as an individual, isolated, lonely, and afraid, but I'm always let out, always let out um, um, through other people that I have found along the way that can share with me their experience, strength, and hope, and that, that give me another language to use to understand the captivity of my own life, and then begin to say, um, maybe I can't hear Jesus, I can hear them. If you do, if you want what we want, if you want what we have, you'll do what we do, <laughs> right? You begin to think, I want to be as free as those folks. Well, how did you get that free? Then do what we do. And it's this collection of relationships that then are there. And I think that's what the church offers is these border crossing relationships that cross all, like you're talking about, political divides, ideological divides. And we have learned how to be free in the middle of it because that that at the core of us is a love for each other that transcends everything else. Yes, so we talked about in Matthew 26 and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's alone. Mm. He turns his attention. This is what freedom is in this moment where if, if, if anyone had this, the kind of freedom that we should aspire to it would be Jesus in this moment is that he turns his attention t- so totally to God that he can lay out honestly all of his own human desires. Yeah. Scripture says he was deeply grieved and agitated yeah. in that moment. And he can do it without any fear of divine retribution from, from God. Yeah. And in that struggle that's before me, he lays it out, his own hopes for the situation. And then amidst the struggle, he recognizes God's desire is other than his own yeah. desire. And he defers to his father. And that's what we see um, in that scene. And to me, I'm like, that's what we want to teach people to aspire to. And I think the discouraging thing for me as a pastor is that's the scripture. That's the story. And I just don't know that I see a lot of Christians wanting to embrace that. Yeah. One of the things I'm going to talk about this week that I think is actually somewhat troubling is when you think about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, and Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, do this, but, you know, but, you know, it's just love your friends, but hate your enemies, but I'm going to give you a new way. Yeah. It was very radical, you know, yeah. love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> and, I think as, as I'm, what I'm finding, and this is what I'm going to talk about this week, is this difficulty of Jesus' teachings. The way, look at all the ways that Christians are resisting the words of Jesus. And it's a sign of how deeply we've fallen captive into these norms and assumptions of the culture surrounding yeah. us. And so we say, well, you know, Jesus' words really uh, aren't that realistic for the world we live in. I mean, it's a totally different world now. <laughs> Jesus would understand. He probably wouldn't be that harsh. It's much harder today than it he was in Jesus' day. did not have to day. go through what I'm going through yeah. in this culture. Yeah, they only hunted down the Christians and killed them, threw them into the, the lions and the gladiators. Yeah, so it's much harder today because, you know, uh, to you had to, because you had to wait in a socially distanced line to get your Starbucks latte instead of not being socially distanced. It's so much harder today. Um, And then other people say, you know, we're human. We can't, I mean, this is Jesus. We can't do what Jesus is asking. We can't imitate God. We're really not capable. So therefore, we shouldn't be held to that standard, you know, is another one. And then some people say, well, that's a spiritual ideal to aspire to. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is just like... um, 
you know, I, I think Jesus gets all that. I mean, it's not easy. It's not popular, but it's rooted in the goodness of God, not in your goodness. Yeah. And until we've, until the church, when we talk about all this conversation of the church, what is the church going to look like going forward coming out of the pandemic? And I, and I, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some good conversations, I think, with some great guests yeah. that are coming yeah. uh, to be with us um, that that really are going to be wrestling with the same things. Yeah. What's the church going to look like on the other side of this? Right. Because we were already in a massive paradigm shift, mm-hmm. already. Yes. And there's a lot of people that are not going to come back after the pandemic. Yeah. Or if they come back, it'll be in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder um, how the church is going to have to return to maybe a a much different way of thinking about um, what we do. Yeah. So yeah, you know, next week Adam Hamilton from Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City, outside of Kansas City, and then Bishop uh, Cynthia Harvey, who's now the president of the Council of Bishops for mm-hmm. United Methodist Church. And you know, we've got our own problems in the Methodist Church, but just to think about what is it? What's the church going to look like as yeah. we go forward into the future? And so. Um, I don't know. Can, can I say this? Yeah. The, the the things that you were talking about just a bit ago in terms of like um, like all these reasons that we really can't follow Jesus seem to me like just um, another way of doing captivity, of man, cap, captivity management, right? I'm trying to manage my own captivity by saying why I'm like this and why I can't be free, right? Um, and so um, that's one of the things I think that I'm, I'm loving – the discussions we're having uh, at Chapwood that you're leading us in, which is um, there's a way forward and it's going to be brought about by the spirit of God, by poets, you know, by, by different language, by love, by, by, by a desire to see something different. Mm. And we have to let these things go that don't work anyway. We have to let these things go um, that are not serving us. And to be able to paint that picture of what's ahead of us, um, um, to and to be able to say, I want to, I want to move forward with Jesus. Jesus is ahead of us. We can't. It's gonna be. Is it gonna be rough? Heck yeah, it's gonna be rough. Is it gonna be awesome? Yes, because Jesus is ahead of us. Mm. We're gonna be okay. Uh, yeah, and my hope is really more determination. It, I, I have a yeah. sense of hopefulness, but I think m- my attitude is more. You know, staying focused on the path, just yeah. just working the patch, yes. working the patch, working the patch. So, what do you call That's that? Right. Duty, um, perseverance, pers- perseverance, right? Yeah. Because honestly, sometimes the hope is not real strong. Because when we're talking about go back, go back to all we've talked about: captivity, change management, all that sort. We're I, I'm I'm listening to people who don't want to change, even good Christian people. It's like when are we going back to the schedule like before. I was like, we can't even fill up. Two services. We're not even close yet, so yeah. we're not going to think about turning on a third service yet. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. it's going to be really hard because people want to go back to what was yeah. comfortable and what was um, what made them feel settled and safe and secure. And that's the hard part. Is ch- that's what church does. What any communal group does for you is it gives you some sense of security. Right. But there is a season that you have to go through sometimes to move from one space to another where that communal life is going to be very risky and difficult and dangerous, but you do it together. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I get excited about um, is out of this, our new relationship is going to form. Will Chapelwood emerge as this kind of this place? It's almost like a dojo. 
right? So, so most, most, um, most places you go to learn, you sit in a seat and you look at somebody that is the instructor in a karate studio dojo. You have to actually practice what you were being taught, right? It has to be embodied. And I've always seen Chapelwood more as a dojo than a classroom, right? Where we're trying to fill up our heads. No, we're, we're needing to coordinate these new activities in our bodies and with each other in the world, mm. whether that's at the food pantry or TRT or uh, our youth groups or whatever's going on, right? We're, we're coordinating these activities in the world. And I think, um, I, I, I get excited about that. Hey, so did you watch the Oprah Winfrey interview with Harry and Megan? I, I, I only saw clips of it. I watched it. What do you think? I don't really care. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I don't I just, really care. I, I just love how, I, no, I just love how there's all this buildup. It's like Harry and Megan will be interviewed by Oprah. What will the queen say? What will Charles do? <laughs> da, 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 da. Who cares? And I watched it. And of course, my whole experience for the first thing is like, for the first while, I was like, when's Harry showing up? Yeah. I was like a whole hour yeah, of Megan, like, which is no cool. problem. I, I, she yeah. was great. But I'm like, I thought it was going to be them together. And then it's like they got, you know, they live in this really nice neighborhood in California and they got a chicken coop in the backyard. And I thought, that's good. That's good. He's farming chickens. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, there were some things on there that were kind of disturbing this and that. But I mean, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, I'm looking at these folks and I'm going, I, I can't relate to, no, to that's, this. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't be dismissive of her experience or his. I mean, can you imagine no. your whole life? Being, I mean, I used to think that'd be really cool to like be the prince who is going to be the king, but I don't know. That doesn't look too good. No. Captain. Yeah. So you, would you think the king would be the most free or the queen would be the most free person of all? And according to listening to all this, you're like, I don't think you have any freedom. Like took her passport and her keys and everything. Really? She didn't go anywhere. Passport. Yes. I'd be... I'd be telling him I lost it. I'd be, I'd be deep somewhere. <laughs> you are the princess, but you cannot have lunch with your friends. <laughs> I said, you know, what she said is like, they told her that it's like, you need to calm down. You're in the press too much. She goes, I've been out twice in the past, like six months out of this house. Like, I'm not sure how you win that battle. I'd burn that thing down probably. Yeah. Plus she went from being a celebrity. Yeah. yeah, but he was a celebrity too, probably. I mean, he grew up in that, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't either. Monarchy. I, mean, I find a hard time relate to the kings and the queens. Really? Yeah, more of a, huh. a day laborer kind of guy. <laughs> I get that. It's it's weird being like when living there and like there's plates and mugs and people go off on that stuff. Oh, that's, that's right. You live there. there. There's some, if I didn't get it either, because you know, it's like, yeah, they're not elected; they are stayed. They are they are a fixed like furniture. But they love them over there, don't they? Oh yeah, I, we were there for the Queen's birthday at some point. And they, like the all of London just went nuts and threw this massive party, and it's just I think her, I forget what what was it or something jubilee. So. <laughs> what was it? Somebody put on Twitter. He goes, America once again slowly taking down the monarchy. And then ever <laughs> since right. George the Third, it said, "We play the long game, baby. We play the right. long game." <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next week we got Adam Hamilton. I'm, I'm excited about that. He's a friend, and we're going to talk about. I, I, I really want to talk about ministry during this season and coming out of this, and what it looks like to be the church, Church of the Resurrection. 
uh, is the largest United Methodist congregation in the United States and has been one of the fastest growing one for many years. But they've always had this very distinct uh, mission and focus of reaching unchurched people. That's right. And that's been a big key for their evangelistic growth. So I'm excited yeah. to talk to, to Adam mm-hmm. about that and a lot of other things. We'll talk about Methodist Church and, and other stuff, but really what, what does the future of the church look like? I think it will be a great discussion. So it'll be good. Well, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Do 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 do